Welcome to episode 19 of How to Be a Steminist. Today, I'm interviewing the wonderful Jessica Deneen. She's a civil engineer, a massive advocate for diversity in STEM, and the podcast host of Mumgeneer, proving women can have it all. Just from speaking to Jessica, I have learned so much from her laid-back can-do attitude and how she makes decisions based on her intuition. You often hear how being a mum changes your life, changes your relationships, and has a massive negative impact on your career, but Jessica's really blown those myths out of the water and has proven that it doesn't need to be as difficult as others may make it out to be. I hope you enjoy this interview. This is the How to Be a Steminist podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany, a proud woman in STEM. To me, being a STEMinist means creating a wildly fulfilling career without compromising your family or social life. Because when you love your whole life, you become a living example that a career in STEM is where it's at. I'm on a mission to equip women in STEM around the world with strategies to take back control of their career progression, navigate those difficult and awkward gender equality issues, and stop balancing work with life and start enjoying it. If you want to learn all the things no one else teaches you about being a woman in STEM, you've come to the right place. Let's get stuck in. Jessica Deneen is a design engineer working for her local council in Queensland, Australia, and she specialises in the design of roads, drainage, and public spaces. What she's really passionate about is improving her community through her work. In 2019, she was the design lead for a project which won the High Commendation Award for $1 to $2 million projects at the Institute of Public Works Engineers Excellence Awards. On top of all of that incredible work, Jessica is the host of a podcast called Mumgeneer, Proving Women Can Have It All. Through this podcast, her Facebook and Instagram pages, Jessica is empowering women to confidently pursue both their personal and professional goals. As you can see, Jessica has achieved so much in her STEM career in such a short amount of time. And while I could definitely have done a whole interview based on the experiences she's had as a female engineer in the field... What I'm trying my best to do in these interviews that I'm doing for this podcast is to bring people on who have experiences or skills that I don't have. Now, Jessica, obviously, as you might have guessed, she is an engineer as well as a mother. And I know I get questions from females in STEM quite often about how they need to get their careers in order before having kids. They put so much pressure on themselves to get everything lined up and ready to go before they have children. And this seems to be a massive stress of theirs. I know from my own experience of being a woman in a male-dominated workplace, I often found the topic of having children a bit of a tricky one to wrap my head around. I didn't have that many female role models in more senior positions than me, so I couldn't always picture what my life would be like if I continued on in my professional career. 
all I really heard from people who had kids and worked in engineering was that it was really hard, you lose sleep, your life is gone, you don't get to hang out with your partner as much, your relationship changes. I felt like parents seemed to have a lot of negative things to say about their lives after having children. And I didn't often hear about the positive sides, which sounds terrible, but it's totally true. I don't know if you've got the same experience as well. So I really wanted to bring on a guest who is a mother working in a STEM career in a male-dominated environment to unpick, you know, the challenges she was facing, how she overcame them. And that is basically what I wanted to ask Jessica about when I got her on for the podcast. But when I met her and spoke to her for the first time, she told a completely different story. And it was so refreshing to hear. She basically told me that having children could be as easy or as difficult as you wanted it to be. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And you'll hear her in this interview saying how she also expected life to be really difficult because she had the same experience as me. Everyone was telling her how difficult life would be after children, but she found the exact opposite. So while there were definitely challenges that Jessica and her husband had to overcome when first having their child, I think there's a lot to be said for her super optimistic outlook on life, her strategic and logical problem-solving brain that a lot of us women in STEM have, and how she just solved each little problem as they came along with such ease and grace. So for parents who are listening to this podcast episode, there are some golden nuggets that Jessica has to share with you all as a parent herself. And for listeners like me who bought into all the horror stories of having children, you'll learn that if you surround yourself with the right people, a supportive workplace, and set really clear boundaries for what you will and won't accept – you will be able to have it all. You don't need to choose between career and family. You can have both and be very happy with both. I won't keep you any longer. Here's Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. Now, we met actually over on my Facebook group, which is the Wonder Women in STEM community. So we found each other there and you told me that you hosted your own podcast called The Mumgineer, which we're going to get stuck into about what all of that's about later on. But we had a really great conversation last week, didn't we, where we talked about your career plan, your life plan, and how you had this whole kind of plan up until you were 50 years old mapped out. (laughs) but it didn't quite work the way that you wanted it to. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I feel like it's probably the same with everyone. Um, I feel like a lot of particularly engineers would be planners um, and you've kind of got a plan for the unplannable because it never really quite goes goes right. So I did, I had my whole plan Um, going through uni was that I would come out of uni. After about three years, I would become registered engineer, which would mean that I could um, be a senior engineer and sign off on plans and that sort of thing. And then at that point, because that's kind of like a really, a real tipping point, um, particularly in Queensland and Australia as an engineer. So at that point, I 
go to have a family because I always wanted to have kids before I was 30 and then, you know, get stuck back into my career because I always had this kind of vision in my mind that I'd have to start my career, progress it to a certain point, and then it'd stop while I had kids and then it'd start back up again. I always had that vision in my mind. So you wanted to get a specific certification before you had children, is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. It didn't quite happen that way. <laughs> so so I graduated from uni and just at that point where I was working, I wasn't being supervised by a registered engineer, which meant that I couldn't perform engineering tasks essentially. So I couldn't get the experience that I needed to become registered myself in the first kind of, I think I was graduated for two years when my husband and I just kind of thought, stuff it. (laughs) (laughs) Do I really want to wait another three years or potentially longer? Because at the time my supervisor still didn't have his RPQ is what it's called here in Queensland. So that's a registered professional engineer in Queensland. So my supervisor did not have that at the time. And I thought, well, he was meant to get it in six months, two years later, still doesn't have it. I'm not really going to count my chickens. Do I really want to keep waiting for him to get his so that I can wait another round about, they say it's about three years worth of experience you need. So do I really want to wait all that time before I have a kid? And I thought, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you. Yeah. Well, I'd already been married for two years at that point. um, And my husband's always wanted kids. As soon as I met him, I wanted to have kids like growing up. It was never super high on my priority list. But then when I met him, I was like, yes, I want to have his babies. (laughs) Yeah. So I just decided to just go for it and it actually worked out really, really well. So my organization at the time was going through a restructure. And so I went on maternity leave, I think a month or two before the actual restructure fully happened, like the actual massive changes in in positions and teams and that sort of thing. So I got to miss all of that commotion, which was great. And then I was planning on taking eight months off so that I could return in the new year. After everyone gets back from Christmas leave anyway, I just pop back in at the same time. But six months into my maternity leave, well, actually five months into my maternity leave, I got a call from my new boss saying that the engineer that they hired to take my position for the eight months I was meant to be off had quit and the only other engineer left had applied and was successful in obtaining another engineering position within a different team within council. And so there was going to be no engineers left in (laughs) his team. And so he's called and he said, hi, uh, you know, would you be willing to meet with us and talk about coming back early? And so I met with my new supervisor who I hadn't met before but was an RPQ and my general manager who I hadn't met before. She, she just moved positions, but she'd already been there with the restructure. And so I met with them and they said, we really want you to come back early. You can pretty much call the shots. What do you want to do? And I said, well, uh, I'm currently on maternity leave pay through the government. So I can't come back now, but that finishes in four weeks. I'll come back then, but I want to do four hours a day working from home. That's all I'll do. And they were like, well, you know, That is amazing that, you know, you really read the situation. You were like, look, they need me and I am currently on maternity leave. How can I set my future work life up for success? 
Yes, definitely. I grabbed that opportunity and I ran with it because like you said, they needed me. I didn't need them at that stage. Like I'd planned to take eight months off. And so, yeah, I went back doing four hours a day from home and it was, it was really easy. Like at the time, my daughter was five months old when I went back to work, uh, working from home. And I just worked when she napped. And because she was only five months old, she didn't really do much. Like she rolled around on the floor and stuff, but she didn't really start to crawl until she was six months old. And even then it was very slow and kind of wobbly. <laughs> so, she, so I could kind of just leave her be. And then it sounds really bad, but like I could just leave her in the lounge room because my the study's in the lounge room anyway. I'd just leave her laying around making her own fun. And that's actually really good for development in kids as well. If you leave them because it actually um, makes them use their imagination. So it sparks creativity at a young age. So maybe I did it for that reason. Maybe I did it because I just <laughs> You're killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it was really easy doing four hours a day from home when she was that young. Then I decided come the new year that I would come back full time. But at that stage, Bella had started her swimming lessons on Fridays. Aww. And so I said, I don't want to work Fridays. I condensed my hours. So I, instead of doing eight till five, I do 7.30 till 5.30 Monday to Thursday. So I still do a 76 hour fortnight. I just do it over four days a week. And because I'd already been working from home, because I took up that opportunity that was presented to me, I decided to go back working two days from home and two days from the office. And that worked really well because it allowed Bella to kind of really transition into daycare rather than just going no daycare for full days. <laughs> yep. um, she could kind of transition her way and it helped me transition back into work as well. I mean, even after just six months off, off of work, you do kind of still have those kind of stumbling blocks as you're coming back. And it was good that I could stumble at home <laughs> and, and no one would know. So, so that was handy. And then when I got back in the office, I was really lucky that during the restructure, my desk didn't even change. So I was still in exactly the same desk and doing very similar work. But once I'd returned, I had an RPQ as a manager. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm now very close to getting my own RPQ. My daughter's my daughter's two and a bit now, so I've been back at work for um, about two years, including the bit that I was working from home. So I've been back at work for about two years now. And, yeah, I, I believe I'll be getting my RPQ in about December. So Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so it really worked out better for me, like, and I think it just goes to show, like, if things aren't going to plan, that's okay. Just, um, you know, kind of try, try and take it in your stride. And if opportunities are presented to you, take them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think it's so interesting that, you know, you started off your career having this step-by-step life plan. You wanted things to go in a specific order and then you realised, okay, my my work situation at the moment isn't going to provide me with what I need to continue with the step-by-step plan I'd already mapped out. Then when you went on maternity leave, things also didn't work out the way that you expected because they wanted you to come back early (laughs) and you were able to not think of them necessarily as setbacks but opportunities to improve things as well which I think is just 
a testament to your super positive and optimistic mindset, which we can all learn so much from. Now, you mentioned a couple of things in your story there that I'd love to ask you about. So firstly, you mentioned paving your own path with working from home and working adjusted hours so that you could have Fridays off. Had anyone in your workplace done that sort of thing before? Not really. Um, Certainly, I don't believe there was any kind of engineers that really did it. We have like prior to to me going through, we did have some uh, like a couple of female engineers come back and they just came back part-time. So that generally that's the way it worked for a lot of a lot of women in in technical roles in our organization would be they'd generally take the full 12 months of maternity leave and then they'd come back part-time for a year or two and then they'd integrate back as full-time. I didn't want to do part-time partly because I didn't feel like I'd be able to get the work done that I'd want to get done in part-time hours because I feel like when when you're working part-time alongside everyone else who's full-time you kind of you it it's something you put on yourself but you put this expectation on yourself that you're going to be producing the same amount of work as everyone else and yes. I didn't want to put that pressure on myself. So I never wanted to go back kind of part-time. And it was just that that opportunity was presented to me to go back a little bit early. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just do a little bit of work from home. And I was happy to do that because I wasn't working alongside anyone that's doing full-time work and like pumping out work. And I'm just there doing four hours a day because mm-hmm. I was at home. I didn't feel that pressure put on myself. And I know it's not a pressure that my colleagues would put on me or even that management would expect of me. It's something that I would put on myself. Yeah, it's a bit of a kind of a guilt kind of thing, isn't it? Because you see people around you doing certain hours and um, even people who only get paid for part-time hours. I see this all the time, women in STEM going back to a male-dominated workplace where all their colleagues are working full-time and they are getting paid for part-time work they still put this immense amount of pressure on themselves to produce the same results. And when they're not, they feel guilty. So it's like they either feel guilty or they work overtime. So it's kind of a bit of a lose-lose. So I love the way that you approach that. Yeah. And that's just something that I just knew for myself that I would definitely put that pressure on myself. And so I thought, I'm just not going to bother even putting myself in that situation. And I do that with a lot of things. I try I try to make life as easy as I can. Great. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but we have, yeah, prior to me, we did have um, quite a few women in STEM, so engineers and also other women in technical roles coming back part-time, but I don't believe we had any working from home during that time. I think I was the first person that came back working part-time from home and then integrating back into the workplace that way. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, that's... I guess you taking that first step in doing that shows other people in the office that it is possible for them as well, right? Yes, definitely. We have we've had um, a few women go through since since I've been back um, having children and, and integrating back, and we have had a, a few working from home. And since the whole COVID thing, we were working from home for I think three months earlier this year and I think that in itself also proved to a lot of people that it's not actually that hard to work from home as long as you 
are task orientated, it's actually really easy. So mm-hmm. rather than thinking, oh, I've got to be in the office from 7.30 to 5.30, you go, okay, these are the tasks I need to get done this week. These are the tasks I need to get done today. Let's do it. Yeah. And I think that actually worked really well. And I've actually taken that back with me to the office to try and be task oriented rather than just being in the office for a certain amount of time. Yeah, I think they call it presenteeism. So you're just at your desk from nine till five. It doesn't really matter <laughs> how much you how much work you produce, but you're just there. So I think that's an incredible approach. Now the mm-hmm. second thing is you mentioned when people come back to work from maternity leave or from a long break, there are stumbling blocks, I think is the term you used. So what are the sorts of stumbling blocks that you felt like you might trip over when you return to work? It's really just kind of getting back into the swing of things, like the programs that you need to use, getting your mind from (laughs) pretty much just going, oh, when do I need to feed Bella next? Oh, when when do I need to change a nappy? Oh, when was the last time she did a poo? (laughs) (laughs) Going from that mindset to an engineering mindset and actually doing designs and doing calculations and, um, you know, remembering where I kept spreadsheets and remembering how to use different programs and that sort of thing that my organisation uses to do um, like financials and that sort of stuff. So it was just... You know, those little things that if you don't use it, you lose it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so there was those little things that I was just, it, and it didn't take long. It was kind of like riding a bike. Once I got back into it, it, it was fine. But there was probably about a week of, of four hour days <laughs> that I just had to kind of get back into the swing of things and just get my mind back into work mode because I'd been out of that mode for five months. Yeah, totally. I I yeah. can't even, you know, I used to take two-week holidays and I'd come back to work and forget how to do my job. So I can't imagine yes. what it'd be like after and emails. <gasps> emails. No. <laughs> I'm having nightmares just thinking about that. <laughs> yes. I Like before I'd left, I set up a whole bunch of like automatic deletes and that sort of thing. So I didn't actually have as many emails as I thought, but it still took a long time to sift through them and address them. And that sort of thing. It was, yeah, email sucked. That was a stumbling block. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard of people who just come back and have the rule of if it hasn't come in in the last two weeks, I just delete them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did. But I had some projects that I was working on before I went on maternity leave. And so I kind of wanted to see what happened with them and I was CC'd into a lot of stuff. So I did want to actually go through it and kind of make sure that things happened the way that I wanted. A lot of the times it didn't. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, so I did go through a lot of emails. I had to sift my way through them. That's the stuff of nightmares, emails after holidays and breaks. <laughs> so you talked a bit about what it was like um, returning to work after maternity leave did anything kind of change? So after you kind of got used to getting back into work, did anything change, you know, whether that was how colleagues treated you, how productive you were? Did did anything kind of change in your work life? Not really, to be honest. So when I was working two days from home and two days in the office, obviously that was a little bit different because I was working at home with my daughter. So those two days that I was at home, 
were a little less productive, but I still got the tasks I needed to get done done because when you become a mum, you suddenly go from having all of this free time that you can procrastinate and scroll through Facebook and do whatever it is you wish to having like, all right, Bella's in bed. I've got two hours. Get like get stuff done. <laughs> You're allowed to swear. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it basically just yeah, it went from from kind of having all the time in the world to do things to having a very short amount of time to do the same amount of work. And so you actually become, I think, better at your time management. Or well, I I did. Um, yeah. I don't know if everyone else would, but I think, and I think that's why. And. I've spoken to a few people on my podcast who have said the same thing that when they've come back, because they've got a shorter, shorter amount of time to do the same amount of work, they suddenly become a lot more productive in that amount of time. So I don't think my product productivity's changed at all. If anything, it's probably improved. And in terms of people treating me differently, the only thing I would say that they've treated me differently is, and it's not a bad thing at all. It's a really good thing. So Kids get sick a lot, particularly in the first one to two years of daycare, and people are just really understanding. So I get a call saying, Bella's sick, you've got to come pick her up. Righto. Uh, luckily, Bella goes to daycare literally right next door to where I work, like right next door to my office. And so um, I just go into my manager and I just say, oh, Bella's sick again, I'm going to have to go pick her up. I'll work from home today or you know, I'll try and get half a day done at home or something like that. And he's super cool with it. And everyone else in the office is really cool with it. A lot of them are parents themselves, whether they're mothers or fathers. There are a lot of people that are really understanding when you become a mum or a parent in general. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say that they've treated me any differently in a negative light. Oh, um, it's that's just, so good to hear. Yeah, I've just been able to see how understanding these people are and gone, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, And it's a bit of a surprise, but at the same time, in hindsight, it's it's not that surprising because if someone else in the team had been like that, I, I would have been completely understanding. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's so good to hear because I know that there are a lot of women who fear the worst. Like, you know, when they have children, that their careers are just gonna go down the drain, everyone's not gonna give them the projects that they want and gonna have to sacrifice their career. And I think this is a really common fear for especially younger women joining STEM, the STEM industry. How are they going to deal with their career after children? It's like one <laughs> or the other and it's quite scary for them. And I've even heard of women who feel like they need to quit their careers to to have the family that they want and that's just a choice that they've got to make or even sometimes even worse the other way around. I know we're doing this a little bit out of order but before you went on maternity leave when you found out you were pregnant how did you feel about kind of telling your boss that you needed to go on maternity leave was there anything that was difficult about those conversations at work how did that go I I wouldn't say that so as you've probably picked up I'm a pretty cruisy sort of person and so I just like I waited until the 12 weeks that you're meant to wait before telling everyone so wait till you're out of that kind of high risk time and then I just arranged a meeting with my manager and I just said oh just letting you know I'm pregnant and I'm due, I think, 
start of May or end of April or something. And so I have to take maternity leave. <laughs> I don't know if, I, I'm not sure I actually even said that. I think I just said, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm pregnant and I'm due at the end of, end of April. And he went, oh, congratulations. That's really amazing. And, you know, he's very supportive. And um, that was my manager at the time. Um, I've got a new manager now. But, yeah, he was really supportive. And I think at a team a team meeting or something, he kind of nudged to me to announce it if I wanted to. And um, so I just announced it at a team meeting. I said, oh, just letting everyone know that I'm pregnant. And they were like, yay. Oh, <laughs> so, so sweet. Yeah. So I think it's just in human nature that if someone says they're pregnant, you're going to congratulate them and you're going to celebrate that. So I don't think you need to be worried. If Like if you're a woman in STEM right now and you're in your early stages of pregnancy and you're thinking, how am I going to tell my boss? Oh, like I've got all these projects that I'm working on and I don't know how I'm going to deal with them before I'm meant to go on maternity leave. What am I going to do? Stress less. It's fine. <laughs> Just um, I would suggest probably waiting until the 12 weeks until you're out of that high risk time frame because you'd hate to kind of tell everyone at work and then something happen and then have to explain that. So I, w- I would wait until that 12 weeks. But then if you're waiting to 12 weeks, you've still got six months to actually kind of, you know, get your shit together. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a long time and you can hand your projects over if you've got projects that are going over multiple years that you can't finish or you can just, you know, get your butt into gear and finish the projects that you think you can get done. And like I said, everyone's going to congratulate you anyway. So don't freak out thinking that everyone's going to going to think you're the worst person in the world because you're about to take 12 or 12 months off if you feel like it or less or more, whatever you're doing. But no one's going to judge you for taking time off to have children. They're going to congratulate you, so it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, totally. There's just, I think women put so much pressure on themselves and feel so much guilt for taking time off. People are going to congratulate you. People are going to be really supportive. And thank you so much for sharing such a positive story because I think that's a massive fear that women have when they're thinking about having children, which they don't need to worry about really. (laughs) No, like no one is going to say, oh my God, you're going to take time off to have children. You're the worst person in the world. Like who's going to say that when you say you're pregnant, you're growing a baby. No one's going to be mad at you for that. I think the only thing that was actually an issue though, now that I'm thinking about it um, while I was pregnant is I had pretty bad morning sickness from six weeks until 18 weeks pregnancy. Whoa. Um, yeah, so it sucked. So trying to hide the fact that I was going to the bathroom to throw up for the first, like for those six weeks before I actually told my boss and then also having to just deal with be- feeling like crap at work, that, that was really tough, but you know, it's something that you can deal with because it is kind of like a 24 seven hangover. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain the way I felt was just, yeah, you know how you wake up after a big night and, you know, everything's spinning and you kind of just feel really nauseous. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's it. But that all the time. That sounds like an absolute <laughs> nightmare. I can't deal with hangovers as it is and they only last for a couple of hours. Yes. <laughs> a lot of people are lucky and they don't get any. Some people only get it for a few weeks. Some people are really unlucky and get it for the entire pregnancy, which that would suck. <laughs> I don't know how they deal with that. But um, yeah, I was, I was sick for that kind of first four months. And then after, I think I might've been like seven or eight months pregnant, like I was 
very large <laughs> and I I was getting really lightheaded and so there was a couple of days where I actually had to lay down under my desk and put my feet on my desk <laughs> yeah so that was um it was a little awkward when people would walk past and be like are you okay should we call an ambulance or something I'm like no I'm fine I'm just a little lightheaded it's all good I'll be up in a second <laughs> Oh my goodness, how funny. I'm sure so many women can relate to having to hide their pregnancy but feeling awful at work at the same time. That must have been because I guess when you're feeling awful, all you want to do is be like, well, I know when I'm hungover, I spend the whole morning complaining to my husband. Oh, I feel so ill. And (laughs) all I want to do is complain and you can't even do that. No, and you can't even just be like, oh, I feel so sick. And particularly, like, if there's any women that are pregnant right now, they really can't do that because of the whole COVID thing. If they complain, oh, uh, I just don't, I think it's just a bit of a cold, like, I just don't feel well, boom, you get sent home. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, lots of of love and support out there to any women who are pregnant (laughs) at work at the minute. Okay, I would love to get into... The Mumgeneer. So obviously it's a podcast. You've got other communities and things going on as well. Can you tell us about what it is and why you started it? There was kind of two things that made me start it. The first thing was when I actually announced my pregnancy at work, I was at the, the shops and I saw the other ladies that is in another team, but she she's a very well-respected engineer. I look up to her. She's, I think, maybe six years older than me. And we have very similar career progressions. So I really look up to her and I think she's amazing. And she has two kids and she saw me at the shops and she said, Oh, I heard you're pregnant. Congratulations. Never let anyone tell you, you can't have it all. And I went, cool. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And, you know, at the time I was kind of a bit taken back. I was like, that's a bit weird. Turns out she was having some issues with management at the time, trying to make her go full-time because she'd been part-time since her second child was born. Um, And I think he was turning maybe four at the time. And so management were trying to make her go full-time. But she was one of the people that was like performing at a full-time level, even though working part-time. But yeah, so she told me that and I thought, wow, you know, on my way home after going to the shops, you know, that's, that's actually really, really good advice. And I think even though I didn't take too much notice of it at the time, I've really kind of taken that through my entire journey since then. When opportunities were presented to me and that sort of thing, that's, I really took them on board. Um, and I think that's partly because of her advice that she'd given me and she kind of gave me that strength to go through my pregnancy and motherhood whilst also having my career. So she kind of made it very clear that you really don't have to choose. You can have both. And so that was kind of one thing. And then the second thing was I was reading an Engineers Australia magazine and there was an article in there that said that children, particularly girls, disengage with STEM before they actually finish primary school and uh, and, and the same article also said that there's some studies that show that if you engage girls in STEM subjects in early childhood, then that can actually help them remain engaged through primary school and into high school. And I'm involved with, uh, they're called Dream Big Australia, and they do programs for um, high school students and well, particularly high school, high school girls to get them involved in STEAM. So that's STEM with the A for arts. And as I was reading this 
article, I'm like, you know, we get some good participation, but at the same time, it's still a minority of the girls that are wanting to get involved. I kind of thought, well, no wonder. I mean, we're trying to engage people that have already disengaged. Yes. Um, so that was kind of another thing because I thought, like, so my daughter goes to daycare and they do a lot of kind of STEM-related activities, and which is awesome. So they do, and it's usually pretty like very simple stuff, kind of artsy stuff where they involve kind of, you know, they build blocks and that sort of thing for engineering and then they do things with the environment and leaves and that sort of stuff. And I thought that's great, but what about the kids that don't go to daycare? Because there's yeah. a lot of kids that don't go to daycare and or don't go to a daycare centre. They might go to a daycare mum or like a family daycare that don't do those sorts of activities. So, I, you know, the onus is really on us as parents to then engage our children in STEM early so that we're, because I think, I think it's 75% of Australia's largest growing occupations are STEM related. And so I thought, well, obviously <laughs> we need to kind of, you know, for our, for our children's sake, we kind of need to have them engaged in STEM at some level, whether they grow up to be engineers or mathematicians, it doesn't really matter, but they need to have some sort of engagement in those subjects to kind of progress in their career as they get older. So that was kind of the tipping point where I went, oh, you know, I was actually, I woke up at like one o'clock in the morning. I went, Mum Jania. And <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> Mum Jania. I was like, that's got to be a thing already. So I wrote it in my phone and went back to sleep. And then I woke up the next morning and I thought, that's got to be a thing. For sure, mom engineer already exists. And so I Googled it and there was a couple of mom engineers, like yeah. M-O-M, mm-hmm. in America, and they were really just kind of um, STEM for kids. But there was no mom engineers. And so I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to take this. And so I took mom engineer on um, Facebook and created the mom engineer page. And I took, there was a mom engineer on Instagram but there was literally nothing on it, no followers, no posts, no nothing. So I took Mum Jania Oz, yeah. <laughs> underscore AUS, um, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for two reasons. I'm going to promote to parents, whether they've got a STEM background or not, how to engage their kids in STEM because that's really important. And I'm also going to prove to other women who are in STEM that just because they might be in a STEM career that could be demanding and super busy and already kind of male dominated and you, you know, you're at a disadvantage, you can still have a family. You don't have to choose and you can have it all. So that was the point of the two kind of points that I started the Mum Junior Facebook page and Instagram page. And then um, I got and I was like sharing them on my LinkedIn as well. And I got this message from a lady on LinkedIn and she was like, oh, I saw your Facebook page. I thought it was amazing. And thank you so much for showing that, you know, women can have a a meaningful career and also have a family. I actually aborted a pregnancy only a month ago because I thought it would have too much of an impact on my career. And I went, oh my God. And I just like that broke my heart. And I didn't really even know what to say what to say to her. I was like, oh, you know, if, if the opportunity comes again, you don't have to make that choice if you don't want to. It's, it's totally up to you. Like a career doesn't need to be a reason 
to to stop a pregnancy. Oh my goodness! And what a story. It was yeah. It was at that point that I went, okay. I don't think the Facebook and the Instagram is quite enough, and I don't think it's just me showing that you could do it is enough. I need to share stories of all of the amazing mum genius around and other women in STEM that are successfully balancing their careers with, with family. And so that's when I started the podcast, the mum genius podcast. And that was, yeah. So I've, I think I've been doing that for about three months and I've interviewed 12 mums, I think in that time. And every single one of them is amazing and they share so many great stories. But the one thing that reigns true in all of them is that they have happy families and they have successful careers. Yeah. Amazing. So I think that's proof in itself. You don't have to choose between a career and a, and a family. Totally. I love that you said you don't have to choose. You can have it all. And that is that's true in any sense, not just having a family, but it's also, you know, having a successful career and having a life. <laughs> you know, yes, you can yes. you can have it all. You just need to figure out what's important to you and, you know, very much like how you live your life, figure out how to make it easy for you to achieve that. Yeah, and it's all about setting expectations. I mean, you know, you probably could progress your career a little bit faster if you didn't have kids. But if you want to have kids, then that's not a big deal. Mm. You know, it's not going to it's not going to stop your career. It might slow it down a little bit, but it's only going to slow it down as much as you want to as long as you set your priorities and set your expectations, then you you can do it all. You can have it all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think the last time we spoke, you even mentioned having kids, you can make it as easy or difficult as you want to, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did mention that because um, I think sometimes, I don't know, when I was having kids, I kind of just expected it to be like really hard because that's the, I don't know, that's just the expectation. Yeah. That, you know, everyone goes, oh, you know, once you have kids, it'll never go back to normal. And, you know, that, there's always so many like kind of negative connotations about having children and so I was just like okay I'm having a kid everything's gonna change I'm never you know I'm gonna be tired all the time everything's gonna suck but it wasn't that bad that's <laughs> like, amazing to hear I feel like um you know I don't have children myself so I'm only speaking from what I've heard from other people but it's almost like there is a badge of honor for how tired you can be. I mean, I, I've done I've done this myself just when I've been really busy at work. You know, I used to wear busy as a badge of honor. So if someone asked me, how are you doing? I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so busy. And I think, you know, that's also a thing for for probably parents. I know they are staying up very, very late and they are really tired, but it's almost like a bit of a competition of who had the least sleep, how hard can you make your life sound to other parents. And <laughs> I love the way that you speak about having kids, that it doesn't need to be that hard. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And quite honestly, when you have a kid, there's something to say about mother's intuition. It is a thing 
and you need to trust it because when I had Bella, so I had, I don't think I'd ever hit, held a newborn child before I had my daughter. <laughs> really? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, no, newborns kind of, I don't know, they're boring and they kind of freak me out because they're too fragile. Yeah. And I just think if I drop someone else's kid, like I'm the worst person in the world, so I just wouldn't hold them. I'd just be like, oh, aren't you cute? Um, but I also kind of thought they were boring, so <laughs> I was never overly interested. But then when I had Bella... I would just fell in love straight away and I know not all mums do and that's totally fine as well but my personal experience was that I just fell in love with this little human um, who looking back was actually really funny looking but at the time was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen and I held her like it was nothing like she was just she was my baby and I didn't worry about dropping her or anything like that because I don't know she was she was mine and I just I just kind of went with what I felt. And even when we got home, so we, I, w- I had an emergency C-section. So we were in the hospital for about a week. And then when we came home, at the time my husband worked on, um, he was doing rope access work. And so it was very high risk. And so I thought, well, I don't really want him being tired because, you know, I, I need him around. I'd rather him not fall asleep while he's up on the ropes, you know, 100 metres in the air. So I thought, do I really need a bassinet? It's more cost. <laughs> like, I'm a bit stingy as well. I was like, do I really need to pay for a bassinet? And then I'm going to have her in the room with me and she'll wake up my husband every time she wakes up. I don't know. It's probably not worth it. And I was, I'm lucky in that our room is literally like it was six steps for me to get to the nursery, to get to the cot. Yeah. And so I just... Uh, what worked for us was I just popped her straight in her cot and then I didn't have to transition her either. So a lot of mums have issues trying to transition their babies from a bassinet into their cot. Yeah. It's like, well, I didn't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, didn't waste my time with a bassinet. Um, like when I was in the hospital, I couldn't sleep very well because every time she'd make the slightest noise, I'd be like, is she okay? <laughs> What's <Yeah>. happening? <laughs> And so, yeah, as soon as I got home, I was like, no, I don't want to be waking up to every sniffle. So I just popped her in her room. And because when both doors were open, I could hear anything worth hearing. Mm-hmm. And I had um, these kind of pads that you can put underneath the cot, cot mattress and then it did alarm if she'd stopped breathing. Oh, so, amazing. Or, or if her breathing went irregular. Yeah, so it actually felt the tiniest movements from her breathing and if she didn't breathe for a certain amount of time or if her breathing was irregular for a certain amount of time, it'd alarm. Mm. It'd also alarm if it went out of batteries, which is a pain. (laughs) (laughs) That happened a few times to get the crap out of me. (laughs) It's just out of batteries again. (laughs) Surely they've got to have a different sound for batteries. (laughs) Exactly the same sound. Um, And it did actually, one time it did go off um, and I kind of, you know, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. I was like, oh, battery's dead again. And I went in there and it wasn't the battery. <laughs> oh <my laughs> and it was God. really, it was actually really scary. And I, I picked her up and she like, well, I shaked her, like kind of didn't shake. I just kind of rocked her um, just to, you know, see if she'd move and yeah. she didn't move. Oh my god! I picked her up and she wasn't moving. And oh, it's the scariest thing. I was just freaking out. Mm. She was just limp. And then she woke up and I just... What, like nothing had happened? 
Yeah. And I just, I, I like still, even now, like my heart hurts. Like oh. I didn't know what to do. I was like, Oh my God, I thought you were dead. Um, and I took her to the doctor the next day and she's fine. It was, they said it, it could have just been a really deep sleep. And I went, what? <laughs> and it only happened the once, but I was so glad I had those little pads underneath. Mm. Um, because even if, even if she was in a bassinet beside my bed, if I didn't, if there weren't any pads or anything underneath that, I wouldn't have noticed because she yeah. was quiet. She just, yeah, she just kind of, I don't know, half died in her sleep. Oh. And it was the scariest thing. So I don't know. I don't, yeah, for me, I thought kind of bassinet was a bit of a waste of time and it saved me a transition because I'm lazy. <laughs> it saved me the cost because I'm yeah. stingy. So <laughs> There must yeah. be so much advice out there that you're told as a mum and then when you follow your mother's intuition to do something different to the advice, it must be really difficult to decipher, okay, do I trust my instincts or do I do what this book is telling me? Yeah, because even like there's there's a lot of things that say you can't let your child sleep on their side or on their belly, like they have to sleep wrapped up um, and, and on their back so that, the, you know, face up. And sometimes babies will not sleep that way. Some <laughs> babies are really uncomfortable when they're strapped like they're in a straight jacket on their back. And so you just kind of got to work do what works for you. I mean, my daughter had, and I don't know, I, I have a lot of bad mum moments mm-hmm. where people would be like, what? You did what? Um, but my daughter had a pillow in her cot from I think about four months and that's because she learned to roll over at four months but she couldn't roll back. Mm. And so she, so even if she was like strapped up, Oh, what a swaddled, swaddled yeah. up. She'd still manage to roll over and then she'd wake up crying because she couldn't get back. And oh. so I, I shoved a pillow up underneath her so that she couldn't roll over. And so she had a pillow in her cot. And then once she got a bit older, she started hugging it as if it were like me. Oh. <laughs> You've been replaced. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like they say you shouldn't have anything in the cot until they're like one or something or in the cot at all until they're in a big bed. I, I'm not really sure what the rules are, but I just I had to do what worked for us because yeah. I wasn't waking up every two hours because she rolled over and got stuck on her face again. <laughs> <laughs> did you find, I'm going to be really stereotypical here, but did you find, you know, as an engineer, I th- I feel like we're very logical. We like to follow instructions. If there's like a step-by-step guide or anything out there, you're just like, okay, well, this, these are the rules or these are the parameters. I'm just going to stick with them. Is it quite hard then to switch to using your intuition? Yes and no. So I think um, as an engineer, like we also use kind of engineering judgment and mm, we do yeah. use a bit of intuition in that in itself anyway. But also I think when you're, when you're a mum, so there isn't a step to step step-by-step guide Uh, and you know there is so many different pieces of advice you can get and even if you go to like the government advice it can be a bit vague for some things um and even like you you've got your SIDS guidelines and that sort of thing some of them are like some of them are just you'd look at it and you go really like that's (laughs) really surely 
And like they even say that, and I know, like I understand why, but they even say you should chop your grapes for kids up to like five years old or something because oh. they could choke on them. Like it's a it's a significant age oh. that you should be chopping your grapes for. And I think, why aren't these kids chewing their grapes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. That is a great point. <laughs> Like they even say you shouldn't kids under a certain age nuts like whole nuts because they could choke. Yeah. But Bella loves nuts. Yeah. And she's a really good chewer. So <laughs> I, I don't see the issue. And yeah. like because we have we've got um like a a bar in our man shed. Um <laughs> <laughs> and we've got like nuts set up. You know how you have bar nuts? <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. We've got nuts there. and she just sits on the bar and she'll just sit there eating the bar nuts and, Aww. you know, drinking her water. Um, I thought you were going to say drinking a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, the government guidelines. <laughs> so I know we've just said there's way too much advice out there, but now I'm going to ask you, <laughs> what <laughs> advice do you have for women in STEM who are thinking of having children in the future? So I read on a LinkedIn post a while back, and I think it was one of Felicity Fury's LinkedIn posts, um, and she was given the advice that it's always the right time, and I really like that. So you always hear the advice, oh, it's never the right time to have a kid. It's never going to be the right time, so just do Yes, it. my parents have told me that before. You know, it's never the right time, so you may as well just have one. <laughs> yes, but I really like the positive spin on it of saying it's always the right time. Yeah. And it's so true, and, and it kind of means the same thing but it's always going to be the right time because you're always going to make it work. Mm. So if you want to have kids, just do it and, and make it work. And I think I had, I saw a financial planner a while back and um, he said, we were talking about like savings and that sort of thing. And I was like, Oh, you know, I really kind of need that extra hundred bucks a week. Like we use it. And he said, yeah, but you'll make do if you don't have it, you will make do. And I yeah. thought, yeah, righto, that's actually a pretty good point. And so we started putting away the 100 bucks a week and we did. We make do and we still do. We make do. And that $100 that I was spending was just getting spent on frivolous crap. <laughs> and now it's actually, now it's getting saved and we can actually do something decent with that amount of money now. So I think the same goes for kids is that you will make do. So if you want to have kids, you'll make do with the any sort of impact they have on you. But really, the impact isn't what you think it's going to be. It's not going to drastically change your career or your life. And I even heard some people say, oh, you know, if you have kids, it's going to change your, your marriage. It's going to change yeah. your relationship. It's if anything, it's just made my, me and my husband stronger because every time I see him doing cute stuff with Bella, I'm just like, oh, I love you. Oh. I love you both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. I love that. That's such great advice. It's always the right time and you'll make do. You'll make yeah, do with right. the money. And you even said before, because you've got less free time in the day, you make do with the time that you do have for work, right? Exactly. And the money thing, a lot of people say, oh, kids are so expensive. They're only as expensive as you make them. Like I said, I didn't bother wasting my money on a bassinet and I got my cop. I actually, my friend tried to give to me, but I forced $50 upon her, but I got the <laughs> cop for 50 bucks and the car seat, I think was maybe, it was less than $200 from Target. 
and there must be so much secondhand children's stuff yeah like the only thing I think we spent a fair bit of money on was the pram and that's because we live in a rural area so I wanted to have a pram that was going to be fairly good on like kind of rocky ground need to go off-road yeah well we to walk around our property like it's off-road yeah yeah. so we yeah, we did spend, I think we might have spent about six or $700 on the pram, but that was our choice. You can get prams and strollers for a lot cheaper than that. And even like the weekly groceries and that sort of thing, it, I haven't noticed it increase. Mm. And even now, like it didn't increase, it certainly didn't increase while I was breastfeeding because... I was producing a food yeah. <laughs> for free. <laughs> um, but now, now that she's on solids and she's been on solids for yeah, over a year now, I still haven't really noticed the grocery bill go up. So, yeah, kids are only as expensive as you make them. Totally. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of, I guess, that's your advice of uh, for people who are thinking of having children in the future. Do you have any tips or words of comfort for any other mum engineers or STEM mums out there? You're doing awesome. <laughs> I think we all just have to remember that we are doing the best that we can do, um, and we just need to kind of have confidence in what we're doing. So if if you're freaking out and you're stressing out, then you're probably going to find that your kids are also freaking out and stressing out because they are incredibly empathic beings. But also you just need to trust yourself. Just have that confidence that you are doing a good job at work and you are doing a good job at home because if you kind of have that confidence and you truly believe it, then it will actually happen. So one thing that I did with my daughter when she was born was I said to myself, now every single day I'm going to wake her up with a massive smile and a good morning, baby, even if I felt like crap. So even if she had had the worst night, a night from hell, I'd been up every hour. Once that sun was up and we were actually up for the day, it was going to be a massive smile and a big good morning. And just by doing that, even if it was so fake... (laughs) Because I'd give her that big smile and that big good morning, she would give it back to me and then it suddenly becomes real. So, you know, even if you're feeling crap, kind of try and fake it and you'll actually probably find that it'll become real, if that makes sense. Yes, that is probably one of the best life hacks (laughs) I've ever heard. (laughs) Just to, Yeah. yeah, just, I mean, sometimes... Make it till you make it. (laughs) Totally. And I think sometimes when you're in a foul mood and you're forced to smile. So I think my first experience of this was actually when I was 14 and I used to work at Colter as a checkout (laughs) chick. (laughs) Um, I used to hate going to work. Just the thought of it was like, oh, all these really grumpy Mm -hmm. customers. But I would fake a smile because that was part of my job. (laughs) And I would find after a couple of customers, after me smiling and kind of asking how their day was, I would start feeling a lot more lighter and I'd start feeling a lot happier. And I think even more so when you don't have enough sleep and you, you do have to get up and wake your kid up, how big an effect that must have on you. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly right. And like you said, you know, you put that kind of fake smile on and you just be like overly exaggerated happy because you're faking the crap out of it. (laughs) 
But by doing that, people kind of, they give it back to you. Mm. So they start smiling back and they start laughing with you. And then suddenly it's not fake. It's actually, it's a very genuine smile and it's a genuine laugh and exuberance for life. So, um, yeah, you kind of, you get in life what you put out. So even if you're feeling crap, you know, if you go around saying, oh, I just feel like crap or just, you know, go away, I'm so angry, I'm so tired, then you're probably going to have a pretty crap day yeah. because everyone's going to be pretty crabby at you. But if you, you know, if you suck it up for a minute, put a big smile out there and be super happy and jazzy <laughs> or, you know, as, as jazzy as you can be. I know some people aren't overly jazzy people. But if you can just put on a smile and be genuinely nice to people they're going to be nice back and then you're actually not going to be faking it anymore and it might be something you don't even notice is happening and until you kind of you know halfway through your day and you're like oh I was actually having a really crappy day this morning but it's actually been a really good one (laughs) yes and I guess also um you mentioned before for mums to know they're doing a great job and to try and trust their gut and be as confident as possible. And, you know, I guess if there are any mum engineers out there who aren't quite feeling up to it at the time, they can go and join your Facebook group and get some support there, right? Yes, yes, definitely. Amazing. I will obviously be leaving all the links to your podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and everything to the show notes. So if anyone is interested in joining up, please go and do so. Okay. So with all of my podcast guests, I'd like to do a finish the sentence round. The first one is work should be what you're passionate about. I I think you're never going to really enjoy your job unless you're doing something that you're truly passionate about. And once you're passionate about it, you're enjoying it, you're actually doing a really good job. Mm. So there's no point doing something that you're kind of just doing for a day-to-day because you're really not going to end up achieving much. You need to be doing something that you're really, you're really passionate about. Yes. We spend so much of our waking hours at work, probably like a third of our waking hours at work, if not more. So why not make it something you enjoy? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Cool. The second one is one book that everyone should read is. So I don't actually read very much, (laughs) but I would say, um, and this is just from a mum's perspective, Mm -hmm. I really like all of the books for children that are about women in STEM and that sort of thing. So there's one that I just recently got from a a lady that I interviewed on, on my podcast. Um, and it's called Build It and yep. it's amazing. It basically just kind of shows a full diverse range of people doing jobs in construction and it, it gives kids a chance to learn about construction activities from the machines that get used to the people that have to do different jobs and that sort of thing and it just shows a diverse range of people actually doing those jobs. So there's, you know, girls that are blonde, looks like my daughter, <laughs> and then there's other, there's... Um, you know, uh, kind of darker skinned women and men um, and all that sort of thing. There's a whole bunch of different races and different genders and that sort of thing through there. So I think that one's a really good one for young kids if you're wanting to kind of engage them in STEM and show that anyone can do these jobs. It doesn't matter about what your skin colour is or what your gender is. Anyone can do them if that's what you want to do. Oh, I love that. I love that. Very cool. 
Okay, next one is the one thing I'd tell my younger self would be. Never let anyone tell you you can't have it all. Love it. (laughs) Yes, definitely, definitely. (laughs) And then the final one is women in STEM should all know that. You can do just as much, if not more, than your male counterparts. Totally agree. I'm very open about being quite passionate about diversity in STEM, um, particularly from my perspective as a public works engineer in local government, because we're doing work that is specifically for our community, we need to be representing our community. So I can't do that if I'm just taking the stance of a woman. Mm. So I need to have my male counterparts to help me with that as well, just as they can't do that just as men. They need to have the input from women um, and also kind of other culture stuff like that as well. So I'm really lucky in my team. We have a massive diverse range of cultures as well as a few women. There is more men than women, (laughs) you know, that happens, but yeah, so we've got um, a diverse range of different backgrounds and, and genders and all that sort of thing. So I think that's really important. And now that I'm a mom, I get to, not only represent the women in my community, but also the parents. So that's a whole nother thing. Like you don't even realise half the stuff that gets overlooked until you become a parent and then suddenly pram ramps and locations to cross roads and all that sort of thing. You're like, why? Why did they not do this? (laughs) (laughs) Probably because they didn't have any parents on the design team. (laughs) Exactly. They just thought, oh, you know, no one in wheelchairs uses that. Pram ramps aren't just for wheelchairs, they're for prams. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't covered today that you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything. I'd just like to really thank you for having me on the show. It's been really, really awesome. And I really love your show and what you're doing and helping women in STEM, I think is amazing. So thank you for not only having me on the show, but also doing your show. It's absolutely fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you? So they can get in contact with me through my Facebook page, Mumjania, or through Instagram at Mumjania underscore AUS, or through my webpage, which is www.mumjania.com. So they can contact me at any of those. Or I also have the email Mumjania at outlook.com as well if they want to contact me specifically through an email. Perfect. And I definitely encourage everyone out there, whether you're a mum or not, to go and listen to the Mumjaneer podcast. I've listened to quite a few episodes myself. I'm not a mum, but I have gotten so much out of listening to your conversations with guests. We don't just talk about being a mum. We also talk about how we got involved in our STEM careers to start with and how we're planning on progressing them and that sort of thing as well. So it's not all just being about a mum. Yeah. And I think you know whether you're thinking of having children or not like you can get so much out of listening to the mum junior podcast just by hearing about people's journeys and their stories into stem thank you very much for being on the show I don't know about you, but I learned so much from Jessica. I know this podcast episode was quite a lot longer than my other episodes, but I really didn't want to cut anything out because I think she had so many 
important things for you to all hear. I feel really fortunate that I get to interview all these incredible women and I do try and find people to interview with expertise on topics that you are hopefully interested in. So if there are topics that you would like to learn more about and you've got any suggestions for future interviews, please let me know. And if you enjoyed today's episode, could I please ask you for a very small favor, which is to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Apparently, this helps other listeners find the podcast as well. So if you found it helpful and you think other women in STEM need to find it as well, this is how you can help them out. Enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are in the world. And until next week, take care.